Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome one and all to Failed Critic, episode 9. I am your host, Steve Norman. I'm joined, like I always am, by Owen Hughes. Hello. And James Diamond. Hello. This week, we have been to see Rock of Ages, and we'll be talking more about that in the final part, and, well, the final two parts, when you take into account spoiler alert as well also we've got the good the bad and the ugly where we review other films we've been watching this week and triple bill which this week featured films our top three films that were nominated for best picture at the oscars but didn't win uh, but before we get into the good the bad and the ugly james do you want to tell everyone about the podcast and website and everything yeah yeah uh Good evening, everyone. I just want to let everyone know we're recording this at gone 11 o'clock at night on a Saturday. So there may well be a very different kind of later with Jules Holland type feel to this podcast. Who knows? Um, I'm on my fourth or fifth beer of the evening. So it could be interesting. Anyway, <laughs> and I should be in bed by now because I'm such an old man. Um, fell Critics, uh, we had a lot of hits this week. Really good. Uh, we've got some fellcritics.com we've got some great articles in the pipeline coming up uh including some articles from our very own podcast regulars hopefully up uh later on in the week um the podcast as well still going really nicely still got a nice we've still got a, a small but loyal audience which is great to see um and still getting that word out throughout the world but please uh follow at failed critics on twitter as well if you already follow me already follow owen and steve and jerry follow our kind of our umbrella twitter account at failed critics as well uh, and please just tell your mates about it um and also if you're on facebook like facebook.com slash failed critic like that and you'll also get all the news that we can get out to you that way as well excellent and yes so we'll start with the good, the bad and the ugly like we usually do. I have only seen one film this week and I'm going to be very brief about it because it wasn't very good. Basically, I've been I've been covering the Euros for BornOffside.net and Squawker Sports just for just constantly since it started. So I've hardly had any time to watch football, um, especially I've been doing a lot of post-match articles after games. But I did come home from work one night, decided to put on before I went to bed, I thought I'll fall asleep watching some average sitcoms on E4. But no, they put on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the beginning. And after about ten right. minutes of watching that, I thought I'll stick with it. And it, it was just not very good. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't surprise there was, me. There, there, it was a prequel, obviously. There was there yeah. was Leatherface, there was a chainsaw, and lots of people died, and there was lots of blood. And it wasn't very entertaining. 
Um, but it did serve its purpose of making me go to sleep. So that's my film review done for the week until we get to Rock of Ages. Let's go on to you two. Um, have you seen the original? Steve? Yes. You have. Yeah. Do you like yeah. the original? It's for, for the kind of film it is, it's quite good, yeah. but those kind of yeah, films right. don't really do much for me. Yeah. Oh, I think it's brilliant. It's really um, one of those horror films that is properly haunting after you've watched yeah. it. I know, yeah, I agree but, with you. The, the second half of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre is, yeah. is just, uh, it's heart-stopping. It is rela- exactly. Once it gets going, there is, there is just so much momentum behind that film. It's I think, frankly I think terrifying. It, yeah, it's once they get into that house, that's mm. the turning point. And after that, yeah. everything that happens is just horrific. But, I mean, it's an amazing film. Um, yeah, but the, but, but the pre- recommend the, not watching the prequel. No, the prequel is <laughs> not. Apparently, there's a sequel that stars Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger that that was made just before they got really famous. But okay. I've not seen that, and I'm I'm not going to bother. I'll be honest. Any <laughs> anyway, <laughs> remake. Uh, you should avoid the remake. By the way, yeah, Pencil Massacre. It's just so bland and uh, just totally the opposite of being unique. It's just like every other modern slasher horror film. Anyway, not worth. James, <laughs> J- James, what films have you watched okay, this week? Yeah, I've mainly also because I've been watching the football, not in a high, high profile, flashy star like Steve doing anything with it. I just <laughs> like to watch football. Uh, and also, I've been doing a bit of script writing this week as well. Oh, yeah, more news on that hopefully in the next few weeks. But anyway, uh, so I've only seen two films. Um, but this week I saw two intelligent, well crafted romantic comedies. Oh, yes, that's a, yeah, they exist. I don't believe um, it. <laughs> begs the question, why aren't there more? Why aren't all romantic There's comedies the... like The first one I watched was uh, Midnight in Paris, Woody Allen's most recent film. It won Best Original Screenplay Oscar at the Oscars this year. If you haven't heard about it, Owen Wilson plays Gil, who's a hack screenwriter, on holiday in Paris with his fiancée, played by Rachel McAdams. And he's trying to get inspiration to finish his first novel. He's trying to break away from doing hack Hollywood films and write a proper novel. You know, it's quite a, a standard kind of story there. He walks the city at night and he keeps kind of falling back in time into the 1920s, which is his idealised era. He thinks that Paris in the 1920s is, the, is when he should have been alive. Have you been watching Good Night, Sweetheart? Yeah, yeah, it is exactly like I, I. I like to think that, um, like, sometime during the the early nineties, Woody Allen was over here doing a press tour and tuned into ITV and saw Nicholas Lindhurst in uh, "Good Night, Sweetheart," and was Dervla Kerwin also in it as well. I can't remember anyway. Um, uh, but yeah, it is. Yeah, it's massively reminiscent of "Good Night, Sweetheart," basically, but set in Paris. Um, and I really liked actually. First, firstly, um, I warmed to Owen Wilson, which is a good start because he can really annoy me in some films. Maybe it's because I empathised with his character because he he loved he was he really eulogises about great cities and how cities are actually even better than works of art. You know, cities themselves are works of art, and that. And I I I 
I'm also of that opinion. I like to walk the great cities alone at night as well. Um, I think that, I, I love to get lost in cities. So I, I empathise with his character. So, um, he meets some kind of cultural and artistic figures of the time as well. So you've got Tom Hiddleston as F. Scott Fitzgerald. Uh, Adrian Brody is fantastic in a very small cameo as Salvador Dali. Uh, and it's it's also, you also get um, Gertrude Stein and Picasso and Cole Porter, and they all kind of come into his life. It's a bit like the Avengers of the early 20th century of art and literature. It is a superhero movie of the kind of people that um, really pretentious people like me when I was about 16, 17 said were their heroes, basically. Um, and actually, despite the whole time travel plot... It, it's actually quite a simple film. It's not very complicated, and it's about simple human emotion. It's very witty. It's very funny. Michael Sheen is excellent in it uh, as a really up-his-own-ass bastard kind of thing. Um, and and, and uh, Marion Coltard as well is beautiful in it. Uh, it and also it's 90 minutes oh, I, I was like, i'm gonna make i'm gonna make this point in my next film about um genre pieces and i you know romantic comedies are genre films uh they've got a very strict sense of conventions there's no need to be much longer than 90 minutes for these films because you know what's going to happen so don't pad it out with faff because that's when you lose my interest this was 90 minutes dead and i, I know that sounds really bad but that is a really high point of a film for me <laughs> but no midnight paris i loved it it probably didn't deserve the oscar last year but it's it's a lovely film and i haven't seen many woody allen it's made me think oh i might watch a few more woody allen films well there's only ever oh. been two romantic comedies i've liked and that was love actually and Shaun of the dead so which was actually marketed as a, as a zom rom com when it came out. It was indeed. Yes. So, other than that, then <laughs> not really found any that I like. So, <laughs> well, I, I I think that was if you're going to if you're going to dip your feet, dip your toes in the waters of romantic comedy. If you have a special someone in your life and they are determined to see a film that doesn't feature zombies or guns or things blowing up and stuff like that. I think you couldn't go too far wrong with Midnight in Paris. Um, the other film I went to see was a preview. It's out in a few weeks, possibly a month or so's time, a film called Friends with Kids. Uh, it's written and directed by Jennifer Westfelt, who uh, wrote and directed Kissing Jessica Stein quite a few, a few years back now. She's, I think she's married or she's long-term partner to John Hamm, who plays Don Draper in Mad Men. Um, and he's in this as well, playing yet another good-looking arsehole. It's basically Jennifer Westfeld, uh and Adam Scott, who is in Parks and Recreation most recently. They decide to have a baby, but um, they've been friends for years, and they decide to have a baby together and think that it will be good because marriage in a relationship gets in the way. Uh, and once you have a baby, your marriage goes to hell, so why don't they just start off without a marriage? It's got a very similar feel to Bridesmaids. I don't know if either of you saw Bridesmaids last year. I liked Bridesmaids. I thought Bridesmaids was very good. It was, um, again... It's got some quite raw, quite quite on the mark jokes. Rather than being, it doesn't go for the easy laugh every time. Feels a bit like an extended US sitcom at times, but a good one. Um, yeah, plus points from it. A realistic portrayal of parenthood, uh, especially uh, the relationship between Maya Rudolph and Chris O'Dowd, who's in this from the IT crowd. He was in Bridesmaids. He, he's got a weird Brooklyn accent, which I think is actually a good accent, but it just felt so out of place watching him. Took me about half an hour to get used to him with the accent, but I think he's really good. Um, this is one for you. I think you'll like this, though, Steve. At one point in this film, uh, Megan Fox is in it, 
And at one point, she's just sat in a man's shirt and her pants, being excellent at computer games. Yeah. You know, it's every man's fantasy, basically. <laughs> uh, the minus points were, it, yeah, it was pre- a pretty generic story. You knew where it was going to go, where it was going to end. And like I say, this is why I say romantic comedies are like genre pieces. It, I, I treat them the same as I would do a horror film. Um, you know, certain westerns and things like that, that there are conventions to this film. As an audience, you have expectations of where it's going to go and you've either got to do it very well or do something differently. I think this did it very well, but it was about 20 minutes too long. Um, you, there were Towards the end, there were just a few too many will they, won't they, twists or turns. As an audience member, I know they're going to get together. So don't, you know, one or two twists or turns is fine. Too many. I'm starting to turn off my interest. That said, really good central performances. It, yeah, it was a not. I don't like rating films, but it was one of those eh, seven out of ten. Um, again, if if you're forced to go to the cinema with someone who doesn't want to see uh, the Avengers or Dark Knight Rises, or you know, a why are you going to the cinema with them? Everyone should go and see those films. But b if you've already been to see those films and they say, oh, I want to watch something a bit more low key and things like that, again. I, I can think of much worse wastes of your time than a film like Friends with Kids. Okay. Um, well, Owen, what have you been watching this week? Um, I've seen a few films this week, so I'm just going to talk about... Well, I'm going to talk about two and put a warning out for one of them. <laughs> uh, when when have you a fan of Top Cat when you were a kid? <gasps> yeah, I was, and now I've seen buses with adverts and they've put the fear of god in me yeah okay well i wasn't a massive fan i can remember the cartoon i can remember sort yeah. of enjoying it but not much else um so there's absolutely if you're like me and you just remember watching it as a kid but not being a massive fan of it then you have absolutely no reason whatsoever to watch this film because the only thing you could possibly get out of it is some kind of nostalgic bliss because it's there is nothing good in there. There's one or two. I'm, little I'm laugh. confused here. I'm, have okay. you actually been to see Top Cat? I've seen Top Cat, yeah. Oh, my God. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Sorry, um, I just had to get that right. I thought the warning was you'd seen it was about and don't go. Oh, my. No, no, okay, I no, no, I'm, li- I'm all ears now. Is, yeah, I'm the warning is, is, unless you've got very small... Um, very stupid children who are going to enjoy it <laughs> because there's no way any kid over sort of the age of five will enjoy this film. Um, possibly even the ones under five who are a bit above average intelligence. You know, it's, yeah, there's just a warning. Don't watch it. Please, it's rubbish. There is nothing good about the film. The animation in it is terrible. The voice acting's just naff. It doesn't really match with what's happening with the characters on screen most of the time either. Um, which I think is a fault because it's made by some Mexican people, I think, the film. But So it just, no, it just doesn't, doesn't work at all. Nothing about it. I, I don't know why like, they made it. It's not like Top Cat's a, a current no, thing. Exactly. Yeah, it's an odd it, one, it, isn't it? Yeah. It just doesn't have any kind of um, relation to stuff that's happening in the world at the minute. So it's not culturally relevant at the moment. Um, no, it's just terrible film. So that's a warning. But I did see another, uh, yeah, there's another bad film I did see this week, which wasn't quite as bad. But I think it's because it was just missold a little bit. And um, it is a zombie film, actually. Oh. Uh, mm, yeah. Deadheads, it's called. Um, it's kind of sold on the basis of being a zombie comedy 
Um, and I assumed it would be a bit like Tucker and Dale versus Evil. And if either of you saw that, or maybe a bit more yes, like. Yes, I did. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. So I thought it would be quite a funny film. Um, that just happened to have zombies in it. And the main premise of the, the film is basically there's this guy who wakes up and he's, um, finds out he's a zombie, but he can actually talk, he can run, he can laugh and all that kind of, he's just a person who happens to be dead. And he bumps into another guy who is also similar situation, but, um, he died from autoerotic asphyxiation. So that's already start kind of setting the level of the uh, yeah. comedy right there. So that was an early warning sign. Um, but they go on a, a road trip together to find this guy's girlfriend, and there are other zombies around who aren't as clever as they are. They sort of make a pet in it with one of them, um, and they're pursued by these government types who are trying to clean up the mess and, and all that kind of thing. But it, it just fell a little flat. Some of the humour in it was, well, most of the humour was really immature. There wasn't any kind of clever, witty lines. The stuff that wasn't very crass humour was just little, um, I suppose it's sort of nods to other zombie films, um, or they would just be little references to other geeky top kind of films. So there's, he goes up to the, the bar and he, he says to the guy, um, Yar Week Groward, Niddy Bop, or whatever it is from, you know, Transformers and stuff. So it, it's the only kind of thing that you could get out of it is these little Greek, uh, geek references. Right, yeah. But, there's nothing else to it. It's got no substance. The story's really um, straightforward. So, you know, he's going after his girlfriend. He obviously meets his girlfriend, but he, you know, he, he doesn't want her to act. When he gets there, he actually thinks, oh, no, she's going to look at me and see I'm a zombie. And it's, so he disguises himself. And so it's really just a pointless film. If you want to go and see something funny, that's a horror, and it's, you know, well, Tucker and Dale versus Evil is the best of that it's very self-aware it knows what it's doing it's very clever in its humor but it's also just laugh out loud funny this yeah. is this isn't that really <laughs> I, i'm glad you've told me about that because i'd heard about this premise and i thought oh that, that does sound quite interesting but it sounds like it doesn't really do anything with the premise it doesn't doesn't play with the conventions and stuff like that say for example the way tucker and dale did all the way cabin in the woods did as well yeah i mean cabin in the woods is a film i really wanted to see but i, I didn't get a chance to see it Mm. when it was in the cinema so I, I am looking forward to watching that it, it's but it's, it's not really lo- yeah as yeah. I heard from the podcast <laughs> um, <laughs> but no it's it's not like that it's it's more of a road trip film by okay. some stoner guys kind of thing so th- there's a few characters in it who do ha- do give a few uh, make you laugh a little bit I guess yeah um, there's this old guy who's driving this camper van thing who they meet and he's an old war veteran and he's talking about his wife it's very like I say, very crass humour. Some yeah. of it can be quite funny. I'm not a comedy snob, I, but, mm. <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend that. It was, it was just really disappointing, I think. Partly because I went in expecting it to be quite funny, and then it wasn't very funny at all, which is the main problem. Yeah. But, um, and as well, you mentioned about sort of the convention of having these zombies that are, that are still people. They're just people who happen to be dead. Mm. Um, it didn't really play on that very much. And it could have done. Yeah. Um, there's a really low-budget British film, a British zombie film called Colin, which is one of these films they always say, oh, yeah, well, it's made on a budget of something like £45, when, you know, that's obviously not true. Yeah. It's made on a very low budget. Um, but that's about, it follows a particular zombie around. He's walking around London, 
and all the things that happened to him. And I quite like it. It just gets ripped into a little bit by critics. But I quite like the, little, the charm it has to it. And it plays on that convention of you following one zombie. I thought this would be the same kind of thing with these two zombies who just happen to be able to they just have, con- have a conscience and stuff. But no, it, it does, doesn't do anything particularly amazing with that, which is a shame. Yeah. Even, if it, even if it wasn't very funny, it could have done something with that concept. But um, yeah, deadheads, avoid it if you, if you get offered the chance to see it. <laughs> um, my good film for this week um, was a film, um, I, I, my Italian is terrible, but it's Le Quattro Volte, which apparently means the four times. It's um, a film, it was at Cannes Film Festival in 2010. And, and won an award for something, but I can't remember what that was. I'm really sorry. My notes are a bit all over the place. <laughs> um, but it's an, an Italian film. It's quite an artist film. There's uh, basically no dialogue in it at all. So it's it's um, the concept is about... It, it, the whole theme, really, rather than concept, is about life and death, about reincarnation. And it's set in a place in Italy, a small just one small little village and it follows the, these different lives and the way that the, vi- the village itself moves and evolves. Um, so it's not about a particular person. It's not about any particular protagonist at all, really. Um, but the first five minutes, I was watching the film. I, it was a film I added to my love film list. I had absolutely no recollection of adding it. I must have just seen it won an award and gone, <laughs> oh, I'll add that to the list. Um, so when it arrived at the door and I put it in the, the DVD player, in the first five minutes, have this old Italian goat herder just sat down in a field against a tree for about five minutes of him just breathing quite heavily, occasionally coughing, and then there's a goat walking around him. And I thought, what the, what is, <laughs> what is this film massively. I'm watching? Yeah, <laughs> I thought, Mike, what? How did this win any awards? About another couple of minutes pass, and my opinion has changed slightly, and I'm starting to warm to the way that it's filmed and you sort of cotton on to the fact that it's not really about a particular goat herder it's not about the goats it's not even specifically about this place it's everything around that and the life and um the landscape how it changes things that are brought to it and how it changes things around it um and like i say it's all about life and death and reincarnation rebirth um, uh, yeah, I admit I'm not really selling it very well, <laughs> but it's such a fantastic film. I had such a good time watching it. It's funny at times. It's quite sad. It's really thought-provoking. Um, and I do try to avoid this uh, word when describing films, but it is properly beautiful at times. The, the yeah. stuff that happens in it is... There's, well, there's a scene in it, which is about nine minutes long, I think, where... It focuses on this one particular dog in the um, uh, in this little village, and he's outside the old man's house. And over the road, there are some goats. There's some people who pull up for a procession who are dressed as Romans, <laughs> and they get off this this um, this van, uh, and the dog sort of chases them. But the, the camera is just on this dog for the whole time. Um, it sounds quite pretentious, admittedly, <laughs> but it, it's it's amazing. It's properly amazing film it's not like it has a close-up of the dog and then cuts back to being from this aerial view of the dog and then cuts to looking at the people on the van it is just one long scene focusing on this dog and what he's doing with these people but it's 
just fantastic. Um, it, it's really hard to describe how watching it afterwards and you try and say, say it's not. I was talking to my wife about it. I says, oh, there's this scene with this dog and he, he still follows these people and then he runs and she's going, what are you talking about? Um, <laughs> but no, it's, it's properly amazing. And there's it loads can, of layers to the film. It's very it, subtle. Um, yeah, that, it can be a bit of a get out when you're recommending films and go, well, you've just got to see it. But this does sound like one of those films where you just say, I can't really explain it. You've just got to see that's it. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. I mean, the, the, the filmmaker himself, Michelangelo Framatino, he's, there was an interview with him on the DVD, and he said that um, he's got a background in architecture. And he says that a house is a place that you build, and people move into the house, and they bring the narrative to it. Whereas this is a film that he's made, but the viewer brings their own perceptions and their own narrative to what's happening. And he's absolutely right. It seems a bit poncy. Um, but, yeah, if you want to enjoy the film, you will enjoy the film because it's it's brilliant. I can't recommend was, I can't recommend it enough. I think that was the most intelligent five minutes we've ever had on this podcast. So <laughs> I don't know, and it seems a perfect <laughs> place to end part one. Welcome back. It's time for Triple Bill. This week, as I said at the top of the pod, we'll be going through our top three films that were nominated for Best Picture Oscars, um, or whatever that category was called over the years, but didn't win. Um, so who wants to start off? Oh, I don't mind. I'll start if you want. Uh, yeah, um, I found a load. Uh, but I struggled actually. I was looking at this and I kept being drawn to films that I thought just didn't deserve Best Film Oscar and like looking through the other films there and going, well, that was a better film or that was a better film. And I thought, no, I've got to, I've got to narrow it down to films that I genuinely love. Um, and I, I ended up with about six or seven choices, but I noticed on mine and I apologize for the, the narrowness of my choices here, but I realized for three years running, at the time when I was really getting into film, the Oscars made an absolute hash of uh, what was going on. So I'm going to start off in uh, 1996. Um, the winner that year was the oh, interminably dull English patient. Oh, God, I hated the English patient. Um, and you know what? I'm still, at this moment, there's two films that year that I absolutely love, two very different films. I think I'm just about going to go for Fargo. Although Jerry Maguire was the other film I had there, but I'm going to go for Fargo. The Coen Brothers film um, set in uh, the, the Twin Cities, uh, Minneapolis, uh, starts off saying it's based on a true story, which of course it wasn't. It was all you know part of the Coen Brothers' mischievousness. Anyone who hasn't seen Fargo, it's uh, about a... Uh, basically a kidnap that goes wrong. A husband played by William H. Macy. Um, he needs some money and he arranges his uh, wife's kidnap. And his wife has very rich parents. Uh, it inevitably goes wrong. Steve Buscemi is involved. I, I imagine mo anyone who's listening to this has probably seen Fargo, so I won't go too far into it. But I love, I love the just the whole setting of it. It's, be it's a beautifully shot film. Uh, it, 
you know, it makes the isolation of areas of Minneapolis and that area look absolutely gorgeous. Really, really good standout performances, especially from Francis McDormand as the as the the pregnant cop who's investigating this whole thing and starts picking it apart. It's quite Hitchcockian in a lot of areas as well. From I absolutely love Fargo. Um, I it's probably my favourite Coen Brothers film. It there is enough humour, but enough dark pathos um, in there as well. Some great individual set piece scenes. And it, again, it was one of those films that I watched when I was really starting to understand what film could be. And it wasn't just about what I would watch on a Saturday afternoon. You know, this was about, it was someone's artistic intent. Uh, and there was an, there was art in what was being done here. And I noticed that with the Coen brothers and it excited me. It was one of the first films that really excited me when I was at college. So that's my first choice would be Fargo in 1996. Also that year, Secrets and Lies was nominated, which another great film. And I think it was never, ever going to win Best Oscar, but I think it was just really nice that that film even got nominated for Best Picture. What's up yeah, next? The, I mean, the English, English Patient, I know, sorry, Steve, just mm. <laughs> interrupting you. English Patient's one of those films, I, I have seen it when I was younger, but I think I was too young to really get it properly. But the, yeah. the only thing I can ever remember about it is that Adam and Joe sketch for the toys. maybe i'm maybe because i've just ignored it ever since i I must have watched it 18 19 something like that and i've ignored it ever since because it bored the hell it might actually be a good film now i cannot imagine it being better than fargo though um (laughs) be my um so yeah continuing my theme then so next year uh the following year oscars had a chance to put right uh what they did um the year sadly the winner that year 1997 He's king of the world, James Cameron's Titanic. Uh, okay, I'm not going to get all snarky and start laying into Titanic. I think Titanic is a very poor film. Uh, but, uh, you know, some people enjoy it, whatever. Okay. That year also, LA Confidential was nominated. And I think LA Confidential is an absolute masterpiece. Um, it is just so evocative of the era it is uh, it's honest to the era it doesn't romantic it romanticizes the film noir era but it also has a really really dark heart to uh, everything it's doing there uh, brilliant performances from russell crowe uh, from guy pierce um we've also got Fanta- uh, uh, kim basinger kim bassinger i'm still not entirely no one's given me the correct definition for how to say her, her name but anyway she's good in it james cromwell kevin spacey danny devito it's actually it's a cracking ensemble cast um and it is just a great great film it, in the same way that uh, last week i think i was talking about usual suspects it it has a fantastic story brilliant characters and it it just deals with noir so well um I haven't seen it for ages, to be honest. But when I was doing this research, I went, Christ, I love LA Confidential. I need to watch that again. Uh, and like I say, I saw Titanic, so I thought, well, something's got to be... To be honest, that year, um, it, it, it beat Titanic also beat Full Monty as good as it gets in Goodwill Hunting. So, you know, it wasn't exactly a bumper year, in my opinion, in terms... But LA Confidential just stands out head and shoulders above all of those films, in my opinion. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, my third one. Uh, the year after, 
finally, they get a chance to put it right and they choose Shakespeare in Love. Now, I'm not... I quite like Shakespeare in Love, okay? It's a nice film, okay? But that year also didn't win and isn't my choice. Saving Private Ryan. That almost uh, almost was one of my choices, that one. Elizabeth, which actually had a far better performance than the Oscar-winning Judy Dench uh, performance of Qu- uh, Queen Elizabeth I, Kate Blanchett as younger Elizabeth, brilliant film. Terence Malick's Thin Red Line, uh, ambitious, bit boring in places. But no, my choice is Life is Beautiful. Um, Life is Beautiful, the story of a Jewish man in Italy uh, around the time of the Second World War. And it's, it is one of my favourite films of all. It's the film that makes me cry. I, I was on the forum earlier this week and someone asked for films that make you cry. This one always makes me cry. And I've actually been too scared to watch it ever since I became a dad because it's, it, it's about being Jewish around the time of the Second World War. It's about the concentration camps. It's about the Holocaust. But most importantly of all, it's about a father's love for his child and what he will do to protect that child from the horrors of war. Some people have accused this film of being schmaltzy. Um, I, I, I really cannot see that. I, I don't know how anyone can watch this with a heart and not be in absolute floods at the end of it. Roberto Benigni won Best Actor that year for his performance, and I think, and went absolutely crazy on the stage. And I think that was a really, really good statement of intent by the uh, the Academy to award it to Roberto Benigni, but. They should have gone the whole hog, uh, and I honestly think Life is Beautiful was the best film that year and one of the best films I've ever seen. So that's, that's my last choice, is Life is Beautiful. Well, I personally don't think the listeners have heard enough of my voice yet because I didn't have any films to review in the first in the first part, so I'm, I'm going to jump in now. My first choice, from 1962... <gasps> I know, I do watch some old films. (laughs) Beaten by Lawrence of Arabia. It's part of a running theme for my films. They're all war films. This one, The Longest Day. Okay, go for it, Steve. Because I do like Lawrence of Arabia. So, I I, I mean, but I'll be honest, I'll hold my hands up here. I've not seen The Longest Day, so sell it to me. It's also, it also could be called The Longest Film because it is quite a long watch. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I sort of like these old war films, and this one's brilliant. It's got a great cast of John Wayne and Henry Fonda, Sean Connery, Richard Burton, and others. And it's just, well, it tells the, the story of the D Day landings from an American, British, French and German perspective. And it's just it's just epic in every sense. I do like those old Hollywood style films where they do just pack them with stars. Yeah. They've just got they've um, just got name after name after name of people. Yeah. A bit like the Great Escape a, and things yeah. like that. Yeah, you know, just 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 put in a load of proper actors. I like that, yeah. More or less, yeah. And there's just so many different tangents to the story, so many different things going on. It it looks good, even though it's in black and white, and it's it's you know it's got you know the French and German characters actually speaking French and German, so there's a bit of reading as oh, well. Nice. But it is yeah, it's definitely worth a watch. And I've not seen Lawrence of Arabia myself, so I can't say if it's worthy of. Uh, I can't see if it, say if it's better or more worthy of winning the Oscar, but it's well, you know one of the films that. You think it's Oscar worthy, and that's yeah. fair enough. Yeah. 
Oh, you know, you said pick the films that you loved that, that exactly, were nominated, that didn't win. Should have won the Oscar. Yeah, no. Se- second in my reoccurring theme of of war films, uh, nineteen seventy seven, beaten by Annie Hall, Star Wars. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> it's, it's definitely a war film. Yes, I, don't, yeah. I don't think there, I don't think there's any arguing about that. There's, there's not much point me just going on and on and on about Star Wars because I've done it loads in in nine weeks. But it, it you know, it is a fantastic film. It is you know, unless you're Rowan, who hates it with a passion, uh, or, or or my uh, my wife, who if you have a look on failedcritics.com this week, she watched Star Wars for the first time and thought. Nah, as well. To be I don't know what it is with these people, Steve. I don't know. No, I don't know. I don't know what's it, wrong. With it's not that you what you don't watch it and hate it. You just go, "What's the fuss about?" Really? Well, I mean, yeah. it's okay to put into a context of the time it was released and well, stuff. But watching it now, but well, when you think about it, none of the acting performances in it are great by any any yeah. means. But yeah. it's it's a it's a good story, and it looks great for a film. Considering it was made in 1977, it looks great. And it probably it turns sci-fi on its head a bit. I don't think anyone had tried to do something like that before. I mean, like I've mentioned before, every time someone done sci-fi before that, like on a, on a film, everything was new and shiny and and just out just out the box. And this one was just like, well, no, they're not going to have that. I mean, the rebels are going to have a banged up space, you know, banged it's up really space. It's really interesting because I I read a quote from Ridley Scott this week who said he never could have made Alien without Star Wars. Well, no, because... as, as well as Star Wars, with a lot of the special effects and the lighting and the sound and everything. That, yeah, you know that kind of revolutionised the way it was done, yeah. and, ma- and made uh, and, big budgets. Space junk. The fact yeah. that the Millennium Falcon was like a piece of crap, basically. Yeah. Uh, and Ridley Scott said Alien couldn't have been made if everything had to look new. And yeah. you're exactly right. And Logan's Run was only released a year before Star Wars. And you look at Logan's Run now; it looks so dated. Mm. Star Wars yeah. doesn't. It, Star Wars still holds up, I think, in terms, you know. It, it's a bit slower paced than I remember, to be honest. And I, when I was watching it with my wife, I thought, God, this first 40, 45 minutes is actually quite slow. Um, but visually, it actually still does hold up, to be fair. So, no, I, I, I like. I, I knew you'd go for Star Wars, Steve, to be honest. I saw that on the list and I thought, I, I, I'll be honest, I, I, I'd forgotten that Star Wars had been nominated. Well, I've, I thought, as soon as I saw that, Steve's going for that, fair enough. I've, I've not seen Annie Hall and I've no idea what it's about, but Star Wars is better. Damn romantic comedy is what yeah, it is. Star Wars, Star Wars is better. <laughs> I mean, what are they doing giving uh, Oscar P? <laughs> anyway, final, final choice, 2009, beaten by The Hurt Locker, or Hurt Locker, Inglorious Bastards. Oh, I've th- gone for 2009 as well, but a different <laughs> film. Carry on. I think, I think, <laughs> I think is is Quentin Tarantino back to his best. I thought the film was fantastic. There was tension. There was, you know, there was there was some funny moments. There was some good acting performances, especially by um the guy playing Colonel Lando. Christoph Waltz. That's yeah. the one. Yeah. Um, and Brad Pitt, who was. Who was overacting, but I'm sure he was told to overact as as Lieutenant Aldo Rain. Yeah, uh, he was brilliant in it. And it was, it's you know, it's a, just a multitude of tangents from the story that all come together at the end. The first scene when Land Colonel Lander is in the, the French farmhouse, where who's harboring uh, Jewish people, you know, and trying mm-hmm. to keep them safe. That scene is is up there with the best I've seen. Yeah, it's a brilliant scene, and actually, I it it's there's a that film has got a few 
brilliant scenes in. Mm. There's also the scene with uh, Michael Fassbender yeah. as the uh, undercover, uh, the, the, the English colonel. The, the bar uh, scene. Yeah, it, and that as well is just really long dialogue scene, but really ratcheting up the tension. They're two very similar scenes, mm. and they're both brilliantly acted, brilliantly shot, and they, they really do drip tension throughout, there's, definitely. There's, a, there's the other one as well where he's with... Um, He's eating the dessert in the restaurant with Shoshana, who mm. obviously escaped him, and that was yes, and yeah, that is it just builds up. It's just you know, it's got everything like a good Tarantino film has, mm. and that he hadn't done for quite a while, and it was quite good to get back to it. And it was just a really enjoyable film. You know, like I said, there was some funny moments, there was you know action and a bit of violence, but there was also sort of big tension building scenes and a, and a rewriting of history yeah yeah um there is a brilliant I don't, I don't think i've shared it on here there's a brilliant theory that i read a couple of weeks ago and i tweeted about it which says that um all of tarantino's films occur in the tarantino universe uh and that donnie donowitz from true romance who is the movie producer is the uh grandson of uh donowitz paid by eli roth um, in Inglorious Bastards, and that American culture has changed irrecoverably, uh, completely. I'm, God, I'm drunk now. Uh, <laughs> because um, because everyone knows that Hitler was killed in one ultra-violent, quick m- action by killing him in a cinema, and that changed the future of the world. And all of Tarantino's films take place in a universe where that happened in the past, which is why everyone is oh. obsessed with pop culture, why everyone is in his films is really... Um, Ultraviolent, and it seems to happen, was and things it, like. It's a fascinating theory, and I'll I'll I'll, yeah. I'll post I'll link to it. Was it, was it on so the blog one, wasn't wasn't one of the characters in Reservoir Dogs meant to be related to one of the characters from Pulp Fiction? Yeah, Vincent Vega uh, and Vic Vega. They're, yeah. So they're related as well. Um, there's there's loads of uh, the, you know the same brand Red Apple cigarettes yeah. is in loads of his things, and so uh, and there's also the theory that um, uh, from dusk till dawn is a film which takes place. It is a film that people okay. in a Tarantino film would go and see. So Vincent Vega would go and see From Dusk Till Dawn and and apparently Kill Bill. Uh, and this is where it gets really quite meta. Um, the, the plot of Kill Bill is really, really similar to the plot of a film that Uma Thurman in Pulp Fiction says she's going, Marcellus Wallace's wife, says she's going up for an audition for Fox, Full Fathom 5 or Fox Fathom 5, something like that. Um, yeah, and it's about a woman who has to go and get revenge on uh, an old group of uh, like international criminals. Yeah, that kind of, So basically, Kill Bill is a film in the Tarantino universe starring Marcellus Wallace's wife. <laughs> that is the theory. But, I mean, there, and it's a brilliant theory, and I'll link to it on the blog there, afterwards so there, everyone who's there listening was a, to this there was a great There was a great thread on the on the Football 365 forum where we originated from ages ago now that was, that spoke about films and TV programmes that operated within the same universe as each other. Yeah. And it, and it was a brilliant read because some of them were just... I think there's some... I think there's some detective character... Who's appeared in like anything from um, the Wire to the X Files, so oh, that, okay. so they're all interlinked. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's in Law and Order and stuff, wasn't he? And yeah. then CSI, I think he came up in as well. Yeah, oh, really? but it's oh, not it's not just the same actor; it's the same actor playing the same character. Ah, but we should probably stop going on about this because we yeah, could sorry. probably go on about <laughs> it for for hours. So we best move on to Owen's triple bill. 
Well, okay, well, that sort of segues quite nicely into mine, which was 2009 as well, where Hurt Locker won, which I didn't think was a bad film. I just thought it was a fantastic film compared to some of the other nominations, particularly Inglorious Bastards, but also the, the, my choice, which was talked about a little bit last week, District 9. I thought mm. have won. So for what it is, um, a big sci-fi blockbustery film made with a relatively small budget compared to another film that year no, yeah. Avatar <laughs> you know for what District 9 did um, I think it deserved to win it was just a, a, an absolutely brilliant sci-fi film um, it was so a, that it was, was my a, choice it, it, was, it was a brilliant film regardless of sci-fi I mean mm. oh yeah it yeah. was just it, it was something different it was entertaining it was you know mm. I, th- right. I, I thought the I thought the 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 guy I can't remember his name, but he went on the B and the A team as well, and that was just terrible. Um, <laughs> but he he was excellent. Yeah, I also really like the fact that, and this is probably one thing that didn't play well with the Academy, unfortunately, because the Academy is very into Americana and things. Anything mm-hmm. that reminds the Academy of where it's come from and stuff like that yeah. is always really popular. This was about a South African ghetto, essentially. Mm. That was never going to play well with the 60, 70, 80-year-old Academy members, basically. <laughs> and also, it's a ma- it, it was hit, to be fair, it, it was done really well, but it was hitting you over the head with a massive stick saying, yeah. look, racism, apartheid is really mm. bad. But I, mean, but I mean, I thought, even though it was hitting you quite heavy with that, I thought if you either didn't know about apartheid or if you could just yeah. ignore the fact that it was trying to hit you over the head with that message... It didn't, you know, it didn't make the film any worse. It was still. I didn't think it was no. a bad film for it. No, I'm just saying I don't think that may necessarily I I, play quite as no. well with the Academy as well. Yeah. But as, as the techniques that were used to film it as well were worth recognition. Yeah. I mean, it got a nomination, which is about as much yeah. as I could have expected, I guess. Um, they seem to have opened up the nominations to like more films in that category around that time. Yeah. yeah. Although, you know, there were quite a few that fitted into that category that year that, that didn't get nominations. Yeah. Star Trek was out that year. That didn't get close to a nomination. Yeah. Um, thank God Transformers 2 was recognised as the pile of shit that it is. <laughs> that was, that Avatar like, only got nominated because um, it made so much money they couldn't right, ignore yeah. it, basically. Mm-hmm. If Avatar had flopped, um, kind of John Carter of Mars style, there's no way in hell that's getting a nomination. So, yeah, that was the Academy looking after its own as well, to be honest. Yeah. And thankfully I mean, were, it didn't win. <laughs> yeah, there were other good films that year, though. I, you, you kind of think, well, Hurt Locker won, Avatar was out, the, out that year, mm. but else was nominated, Serious Man, Up in the Air. And you just think, well, that was a terrible year for films. But there were some really good films that year. I don't know if you've seen Mary and Max, an Australian... I've got anime. it, I've got it taped um it was on film four the other night right, yeah. and it's in the imdb top 250 so i, I want to watch oh is it? it oh that's good yeah no it's, yeah. Fun, it's a brilliant film uh a bit sad in places but quite funny and quirky yeah. as well it's really good um but moon was it that year moon yeah, is great moon i love moon yeah exactly moon. Yes. in in the loop as well which i wasn't oh, expecting I love it, no. yeah so <laughs> it was a good a good year for films i think really yeah. Just the ones that you see in the, the Academy Awards nomination list yeah. don't make it look like a great year. Well, what's up next for you, then, Aaron? Um, well, up next, um, I've gone for 1994, so just before <laughs> James started, where Forrest Gump won. 
Um, but where my favourite uh, Quentin Tarantino film didn't win, which is Pulp Fiction. Um, and it, surprisingly, while I was doing a bit of research, it wasn't even in the top 10 grossing, highest grossing films for that year, Pulp Fiction. It's quite which an amazing. independent film at the time, I suppose, wasn't it? But, yeah. yeah. You know, you think back now, and it's so um, inspiring for the directors, and yeah. it's just a fantastic film. It's one of those films that um, the uh, the influence makers, yeah, the 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 cultural influencers saw, but the yeah. general public didn't necessarily see. And I think a lot of people still will know bits of Pulp Fiction without ever having seen it, because mm. mm. also I mean, it is over two and a half hours long, quite violent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's brilliant. It's got it's one of my favourite films, and um, so it mm. should be for everyone else who's seen it. I think because it's very very hard to criticise it. Uh, yeah, perhaps, you know, the legs or the ultra-violence scenes some of the time weren't great, but it's got brilliant dialogue. Um, it doesn't feel long, though. When you watch it, it doesn't fit. I don't care if a film's long if it doesn't feel long uh, mm. and it doesn't waste any seconds. You know, there's no yeah. there's no scenes you go, well, that could be cut. Well, that, you know, it, it's, it's all absolutely brilliant. Oh, that was another thing, that theory. You know, the sword um, that uh, Marcellus Wallace kills someone with in the basement of the junk shop um in kill bill someone says that they bought it from a pawn shop in uh, <laughs> la or something like that oh, someone's sword yeah it's just another one of those links but um no i nearly went for pulp fiction but i'm one of the few people i know that actually really likes forrest gump so i think pulp fiction is the better film but yeah. i didn't think forrest gump was like a terrible winner i thought forrest gump was well, i thought forrest gump was a decent film so yeah yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, Pulp Fiction, it's one of those films, it's, it's the only few that I know off the top of my head that didn't win mm. an Oscar, should have won an Oscar. Yeah, I, I repeated some people at work recently, and it's sort of an icebreaker. I've got everyone to sort of say what their um, favourite film is, and someone said Forrest Gump, and I did wince a little, I have to admit. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not, a I mean, bit I weird think, if it's your favourite film, yeah. No, I'm with that. I think favorite. it's a decent film, but... You know, yeah, I, everyone's got their own taste. I'm not criticising someone for choosing Boris Gump as their favourite film. Um, I just think there were better films that year. Yeah, uh, you sacked them immediately, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not getting a bonus. Um, but, you know, there were other films that didn't get nominations that year. Yeah. Things like um, uh, Lion King, which was talked about, didn't get a yeah. nomination. Leon didn't get a nomination. Oh. Uh, interview with a Vampire. I quite like Tom Cruise, but I'll come on to that a little bit later with Rock of Ages, but that didn't get a nomination that year. Mm. Um, Speed, that was another one talked about, didn't get a nomination. And sorry, yeah. Steve, but um, D2, The Mighty Ducks, didn't get a nomination either. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, but, uh, I don't know why, I mean. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, Pulp Fiction's a great film, and Forrest Gump, it's not a bad film, I but I think it's one of those films you watch it, and yeah, it's just got yeah. Oscar-nominated film written yeah, on it. Yeah, it feels like it was made to win an Oscar, no, I appreciate that. Um, but I don't think it had the, the sort of legacy, the lasting legacy no. that Pulp Fiction sounds like. So no, perhaps not hindsight, people hopefully recognise they made the wrong decision when they yeah. voted for it over Pulp Fiction. Uh, anyway, my, my last choice is um, 1968 when a certain musical Oliver won uh, I've already voiced my opinions previously about musicals but Oliver won I, I, on my first ever podcast 
I mentioned 1968 has been a great year for film. Yeah. And Planet of the Apes, which was talked about last week, Rosemary's Baby. Oh, um, yeah. Even Night of the Living Dead and Death Curse of Tartu would nominate. Well, they weren't nominated. <laughs> but they were, yeah. <laughs> uh, and Once Upon a Time in the West, which I haven't seen, but I appreciate mm-hmm. everyone else has seen it has told me it's brilliant. But... Sorry, Steve, again, I'm not going to be your best mate after this, but 2001, A Space Odyssey, didn't win that year, 1968, and Oliver... I can see why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you can, because I can't see how Oliver adapted, adapted from a um, bloody, you know, theatre, musical, beat, <sighs> film as... as awe-inspiring as 2001 Space Odyssey. There isn't a single thing about Space Odyssey I don't like. Everything from um, the story which was created with Arthur C. Clarke. Granted, Oliver has a Dickensian story behind it. You know, an actual Charles Dickens yeah. story. To was go with was it. the version of Oliver that beat it a musical version or was it not a, a normal... It was the musical version. It yeah. was the Lionel oh, Bart musical Jesus. version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> there isn't even that to go with it. You know, if it was just a straight sort of film, I could perhaps understand. But as a musical, no way shouldn't it? something like Oliver. <laughs> no musical should beat two things in one space. No, no very few no, films. Full very stop few. Should beat two yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Precisely. Yeah. I, I agree uh, with you. You're in the minority here, Steve. <laughs> well, you know, of all of all of Kubrick's films, it, it was the only one that he ever won a personal Oscar for, actually, and that was for the visuals. I don't okay. think he. Yeah. No, he so, was one of those directors that just never really got because Clockwork Orange was on my nearly should have won yeah, kind of lists. Um, but Clockwork Orange got beaten by The French Connection, so I wasn't too bothered about that because French Connection is an amazing film. Um, I've kind of drifted on to also rands and things here. Sorry, Steve, doing your job again for you. Uh-huh. Um, but I've, I just because I've got Twitter up here, I had a few people tweet me. Um, at D Pangloss, uh, my good friend Dr. Pangloss from uh, the forum. Uh, he has tweeted, he said Pulp Fiction as well. He also said Saving Private Ryan, Taxi Driver. Scorsese mm. was another one of those directors that all his best ones didn't win anything. It was only like when he started churning out, um, what was it? It was the remake of Infernal Affairs, wasn't it? The Departed. Uh, Departed, which one? yeah. Yeah. But um, he said, you know, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull was another one that didn't want... Um, at Farjol said, Goodfellas, really obvious one. And I mm-hmm. had this written down. In 1990, uh, Goodfellas lost out to Dances with Wolves and also nominated that year, if you can believe it, Ghost and Godfather <laughs> Part 3. Yeah, Everyone knows exactly that's not. terrible. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, and also uh, Dr. Pangloss said The Pianist and Double Indemnity. And this one, again, nearly on my... Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark narrowly missed out to Chariots of Fire. The British are coming in 1981. I, I, I think that was a real shame because it would have been great for the Academy to, to have given Raiders of the Lost Ark the Oscar because it is just one of the best all-round action-adventure films I've ever seen. So that's what people have been tweeting into me anyway. Excellent. So what's next week's Triple Bill? 
Next week's triple bill is in honour of the fact uh, that we will be reviewing uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Uh, we're going to be finding out everyone's favourite adaptations from novels. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you can't use the uh, Star Wars novels which came after Star Wars <laughs> <laughs> of the first day. Um, oh, I'm going to have to go for Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> You've got a nice ready Because I, I, can't, I can't bring myself to pick three of the Harry Potter films. <laughs> <laughs> well, the novelisation of Space Jam. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that old thing. Yeah, Batman was no, that's a, an adaptation, isn't it? Not, of, not of a novel. <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah. Um, you're pushing it. If you start novel. trying to call them graphic novels, you're pushing it. <laughs> Watchmen was technically a graphic novel. I might just about let Watchmen in if anyone seriously wanted to choose Watchmen. Anyway, no. that's a different. Any, anyway, we'll get. I'll have to give myself a good week to think about that. Um, <laughs> but we'll be back after the break with our new release review of Rock of Ages. into the final furlong of this week's podcast uh split into two parts as we missed that last week as we did a dvd review so it will be a non-spoiler review of rock of ages and then a spoiler alert spoiler review of uh rock of ages so it's rock of ages musical film telling the story of i'm gonna let james as he made us go and watch this film tell us all about it first (laughs) Okay, yeah, Rock of Ages. It's uh, based on the stage jukebox musical, uh, basically one of these musicals where they don't actually write any new songs for it. They just steal a load of songs from a specific time, era or band, a bit like Mamma Mia, that kind of thing. But yeah, it's about a young girl moving to LA and uh, she ends up working at a club with uh, a, a, a budding guitarist. And then, will they, won't they? Will he make it famous? Um, will... Oh God! Like I, I, I did have. Okay, I won't say high hopes. Um, I had hopes, some middling hopes, low to middling hopes. For about thirty seconds of this film, there were the opening made me think of Guitar Hero, which was quite nice. For about thirty seconds, I thought this is just like the beginning of a Guitar Hero game. Um, uh, then they start singing on a bus, <laughs> and I think, what fresh hell is this? <laughs> I, uh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna put my hand cards on the table here. Okay, I'm not a musicals fan in the sense that some people enjoy musicals. We'll go and see any musical, but I can appreciate a good musical. Okay, I'm looking forward to the Les Mis, uh, Les Miserables film adaptation. I actually think Grease is a great film. Okay, so I'm laying a lot of cards on the table here. Some say a lot about me. <laughs> um, uh, but you need to remember, film adaptations of stage musicals have a very specific challenge because stage musicals can seem very impressive because of the, specifically because of their limitations. They can bring in a load of location. You know, they're taking place on quite a small stage. They bring in a load of locations and use different tricks and, you know, things like that. Very small space. Film versions, because they've got an unlimited budget and they can film anywhere they want, 
you lose that element of um, goodwill from the audience. So you need to live or die on your storyline, your characters and acting, and your songs. And Rock of Ages fails in every single one of those respects. Um, I'll, I'll let someone else have uh, take a pop at it. Well, I'm, well, I'm going to save most I'm, of my stuff. I'm for spoiler alert. I'm going to start but... off. I'm going to start off with what I found good in the that's, film. That's nice of you, Steve. Because then I'm going to go on to what I found bad in the film. <laughs> good. Um, the 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 main the lead girl, the blonde one, very attractive. Um, <laughs> that a bit of a backhand. The the, 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 the soundtrack. <laughs> Pretty good. Tom Cruise, excellent. Paul Giamatti, good. Uh, everything else, terrible. Love interest, boring and not interesting. Um, too many songs, if anything, no matter how good they were. There was too many, which didn't lead to any sort of character or plot development. Um, why did they give Russell Brand the brummy accent in it when his normal <laughs> accent is English enough for people to get the fact that he's English? I, I and the think... comic and the comic relief, like which was meant to be him and um, Alec Baldwin, was yeah. rubbish. It wasn't funny, and that was no. meant to be the comic relief without any doubt. I think I think the Brummie accent thing comes from the fact that um, the the kind of Birmingham West Midlands was area say, was responsible to... for a lot of yeah, uh, the but big I mean heavy metal bands, Deep like Purple, and Black Sabbath, and things like that. I'm assuming that's why it was done. Yeah. Um, it's still not a great decision. <laughs> no, he's, he's got a, just a, a London, quite a strong London accent. Let yeah. him use that. People will get, oh, it's Russell Brand. And if they don't know who Russell Brand is, go, all right, his character's meant to be English. Right, we, yeah. we've got that. Fine. Yeah. Um, how about you, Owen? I know you were looking forward to this, so... Let's... <laughs> oh, yeah, loads. <laughs> uh, dead excited. I was booking the tickets online as soon as I saw it was out. Yeah. But, um, <clears throat> Did you put them online so you didn't have to go and ask? Yeah, that was it, yeah. I, I was scared that it'd be full the cinema. I wouldn't get a seat. They'd have to put some out at the back for me. Um, <laughs> no. It, oh. Okay, I'll do I'll do what Steve's doing. I'll, I'll mention some of the good points. Because I have got more good points written there and on my notepad. Yeah. Um, because I think the bad ones are so... Bloody obvious. Or, or you just done, like, or you just done what I done. Wrote down the individual good points, then wrote bad everything else. <laughs> yeah, I, it, it was interesting when James said that he the first thirty seconds. He thought, oh, okay, it might not be that bad. When I saw the sign above the club and it had bad religion written on it, I thought, okay, I'm not a fan of hair metal, but I am gonna like some bad religion, regardless yeah. of how crap the covers are. I had to, this might be a bit of a spoiler alert, there is no bad religion in that film. <laughs> Where's my bad religion? <laughs> well, so I spent the whole film waiting for that to happen. I think the choices of songs were predictable and, uh, no, I'm meant to be talking about good things, sorry. Alec Baldwin, I liked Alec Baldwin. Uh, really? Okay, they're the bad things. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I had issues. I love Alec Baldwin in general, yeah. but I had issues with him in this film, but I'll come on to that. I thought, yeah, I don't know. His character, it wasn't great. It didn't really work fantastically well with Russell Brand. Um, but no, I, I can't bring myself to not like Alec Baldwin. Ah, fair so enough. I enjoy his performance. 
Um, what else can I say that's good? Let me just look through my notepad. No, I think I, I think that's it. <laughs> I, I just want to say I I was with Steve, and I also thought Tom Cruise was good in it. I I, I actually it, it was I a, actually genuinely liked Tom, it. Was it was a bit more of a cameo than what he had in Tropic Thunder, <laughs> but in the same way, it was brilliant. Yeah, I, I, I like, but I'm a I'm a Cruise fan. I uh, like Cruise as well. I think uh, it's yeah. And I would say, and I'll go into this in further detail, I think if you extracted his thread from this film and then took it away and gave it to some decent writers, uh, a decent director, you might have a half-decent film here. Um, He had the only funny bit in the film as well when he was on about burning down the club and the fire (laughs) phoenix. Yeah, 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 and... Yeah, he could clearly play a deranged character. Uh, yeah, he was clearly. Well, I mean, some of the some some of the bit. stuff that he believes, he can certainly play a mentalist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I, I mean, I, I quite liked the fact that he was playing that quite well, but he did. He just didn't do anything but that. Um, yeah, that there was no range to it. It was nothing. It was one it, note from him. Yeah, but he wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't the main character, so I don't know if he was sort of, you know. Yeah. But um, but you know he's he's the biggest name on the the cast mm. when they were pulling it up and you know yeah. the credit holding at the start the last name and Tom Cruise in big yeah. I was expecting more from him. Really. I, I don't think I'm going to spoil anything by saying they played "Don't Stop Believing" by Journey. And there's a and there's a bugbear. Why are the Americans? Oh well, well, not just Americans well, apparently. There's people in Britain. So, yeah, but there's but there's, a, but there's a lyric in it that goes. And the movie never ends. It goes on and on. I thought it does, doesn't it? It really bloody does. Yeah. It's gonna. Is um, it gonna? St- no, again, it's not gonna stop. This clearly broke my rule about ninety minutes and everything like that from earlier. Um, I've got a massive issue with the the continued degradation of journeys. Don't stop leaving. Okay, some people have cultural touchstones. One of mine is the last episode of The Sopranos. Yeah. Um, where journeys don't stop believing is used to beautiful effect it's, it's, it's um, such an unsoprano song as well yeah exactly but you know the the lyrics do kind of you know they they yeah. relate to the scene and the journey that those characters have been through the characters themselves mm. have been through a journey um you know it's it's perfectly pitched in that and then ever since it got used in the sopranos um no, it's, it's, and it's, I, I, when it's they started Glee, it in really. this film, I went, "Hang on, Glee have already ruined this. What are you doing? Mm. You know, Glee have already raped this song to death. Why?" And and then X Factor raped mm. the Glee version. You know, and it's yeah. like, no, this song has no soul left in it now. This song, this song's like one of those prostitutes that has been in. You know, they've been exploited for ten, fifteen years. Journeys don't stop leaving. Has got dead eyes now, and people are still humping the carcass. And it's there just wishing someone would kill it. That is what has happened to that song. And that really upsets me. Yeah. Sorry. It's, yeah, I don't know if I'd say raped it. <laughs> I'm not sure if I can go so far as say everything else has raped that song. But it's been just played to death constantly for the past two, three years. Um, I watched the, I'm not a fan of musical. I do give them a, a go every so often. I did watch the first episode of Glee. And as soon as the guy, the teacher guy, with the, started playing it on the acoustic guitar, I think that was the point where I thought, hmm, not really for me, this programme. Um, it's just, I, what, what? I, it's an obsession with this American dreams, isn't it? Yeah. So it kind what, of fits what? in with the whole ethos of you can achieve anything if you mm. just go for it. If and you just move to Hollywood, thing. you'll be fine. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. It. You might have a bit of a rough time to start with, but then everything will work out. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Other cliches in this film that I absolutely hate. The fact that, okay, there's this amazing live rock band and everyone's just having a conversation in the club while they're but right, okay, I know that probably happens in so many films, but it those little things just it really mm. annoy me because if this band is so good, how come you're just having a conversation about hiring staff while they're playing? Yeah, yeah that annoyed me. Um the the Basically, the conflict, and we'll come into this in spoiler alert, but the conflict that occurs between the two young leads is cliched and massively unbelievable. Um, and that they go off in their two separate directions based on that one small bit of conflict. Nonsense. And also, there's absolutely no chemistry between those no. two young leads at all. Um, they're bad actors. They're bland. And they've got no chemistry. Both- they're both from soap operas, aren't they? Isn't the the main guy Diego Bonita? He's from he's some Mexican, Mexican soap opera, I think. And um, yeah. she was in the remake of Footloose quite recently. Okay. Uh, but um, but you oh. saw what happens when proper actors have chemistry. Because I did think that Tom Cruise and Malin Ackerman, uh, who I very much like as an actress, um, who played Constance, the uh, Rolling Stone reporter, there was at least some sparks there. It was a bit laughable at times. Um, but during their storyline, there was at least a bit of spark and a bit of chemistry, and you could almost kind of believe it a little bit more, far more than you could with those two young whippersnappers who, to be honest, still look like they hadn't taken their GCSEs yet, if you ask me. But anyway. Well, apparently they're 24 and 22, <sighs> something like that. Oh, I thought they were old. supposed to be playing teenagers, and they looked yeah. older. They were meant to be playing, I'm guessing, 21, at least. Yeah. If, they were, if they were going to be in a bar... And they were going to be drinking. They were going oh, to be okay. doing twenty-one. Yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Anyway, what did what did you think of Paul Giamatti's character? Because he's usually a pretty solid actor all round. I thought he was quite good, but underused yeah. because Tom Cruise was underused or in a smaller part. And as he he was pretty much centrally around Tom Cruise, then he was. I thought. I personally thought Paul Giamatti phoned it in, but I thought that he yeah. didn't need to do anything more than phone no. in because the character was so threadbare. Um, yeah. He was so. He was such a cliched, oily. But he, but he could have probably. Managed. He could probably could have done quite well with that character in a, in or that kind oh, yeah. of character. And, and do you know what? He he did well for this film. I yeah. can imagine. I can imagine a lot worse portrayals of this character played by lesser able actors. Mm. I just think that he didn't have to get out of second gear with this, no. and so he didn't bother. Um, um, and he didn't have to do any singing. And, and I think that sounds unfair to him. He he had nowhere to go with it because no. the char- the act the character didn't have any depth to it. So Paul Giamatti turned up and did the best he could with it, basically. Mm. Well, so sure, it wasn't amazing. <laughs> shall we move on to spoiler alerts? So we can. I think we should. Yeah. yeah. Um. My 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 non spoiled review is ugh, why why would you do this? <laughs> yeah. Um. But find out why if you want to after. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Time for spoiler alert then. Let's spoil what we can of Rock of Ages. I don't think we can spoil it too no. I forgot to mention in the last part that I actually injured myself watching this film. It was that bad. 
you were laughing so hard no, your no, sides. No, no, essentially I played football on the Tuesday and we did I go and see this Thursday. I went I played football on the Tuesday and pulled a muscle pretty badly. Kind of forgot about it while the film numbed my brain. And then when it finished I thought I'm gonna get out of here as quick as I can. Sort of so got, got, got up, tried to take sort of two steps at a time out of the cinema and sort of think, oh, I've pulled a muscle, am I? What am I doing this for? So, yeah, Rock of Ages injured me and I may be filing a lawsuit against him for it. So. <laughs> you might be the first. Yeah. No. Um, um, but, yes, rubbish film. <laughs> God. Well, and, 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 do you know what? I've written so many... I've wrote, written some very detailed and specific notes about exactly what I found uh, very you... wrong with this film, simply because what I wouldn't want is for anyone listening to this think that we have just dismissed it we prejudged it because it's a fluffy musical and things like that. Because, like I said, I, I I can watch a fluffy musical if it's done well. I I, I like Grease. Grease is a great film. Okay, so I, I will like a good musical. Owen might not, and that that's totally yeah. up to him. Okay, and I'm well, not I'm judging Owen on that either. But <laughs> I'm not a fan of musicals. I exactly. Did go uh, yeah. Avenue I mean, Q. This. Year, oh yeah, the the kind of Jim Hensony one. Yeah. Well, sort of. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> yeah. Than, than yeah, Hensel. a bit more adult and stuff, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But, you know, Is it good? It's, um, all right, too much yeah. singing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that's where we've got Owen Cohen. And, and that's perfectly fine, okay? But what I want, I want anyone who thinks that I'm slagging this off to know, to that, know that you I are. I actually wanted this to be good. I, whenever I go into a film, I want it to be good. I genuinely do. And I want, yeah, we joked about this beforehand, but I did go in thinking, do you know what? This might surprise me and it might be good because I can like a musical, okay? But I have written down so many notes here <laughs> about every... And I've got this little um, notebook, uh, a Moleskine film notebook, so I can write down every film that I've seen. It's got, like, you, it's got the title and you write it in where you saw it and there's a little bit for notes and stuff like that. And I wrote all over this page... And in the end, I had to write in the section that said awards because I knew this wasn't going to win any. <laughs> so I just wrote, yeah, I wrote in that set. I've got so many notes. Well, um, shall we? Shall, I'll let start if well, <laughs> shall we start with what I would do to make this a good film? Yes, I'm, I'm yeah, interested. Right? Yeah, it's it's based on a musical, but I'm sure you don't have to make it a musical. I'm sure you can use cinematic license to just take the story, the characters, and the plot. So do that for a start. Have the songs in there. Because you're going to have a rock star in it and some music in it. So you're going to need some songs somewhere. So use them there. That's that bit sorted. Basically, tell it from Constance, a Rolling Stone journalist's point of view. And she's trying to get, in, you know, mm. to do a story over a period of time on Stacey Jacks, this big, yeah. massive rock star who's yeah. fallen. Well, not fallen because he's still selling out and doing, you know, great gigs. Yeah. But his. He's a troubled personality, and you're trying to get inside his head and see who he really is, and just and basically do that. Expand Paul Giamatti's character as a, as a slimy, sleazy agent who's only in it for himself and doesn't really care about his clients or people. You can have this this Drew person in it, but what you do with him is you just lessen his role and lessen his girlfriend's role, and he can be some up and coming. Rock star who's looking up to Stacey Jacks, but probably shouldn't be because Stacey Jacks likes drinking and drugs and all the stuff that you probably shouldn't be doing, even though you would be if you're a rock star. But just minimise that role, and then the comic relief: give Russell Brand a London accent and make him funny. Okay, do you know what? There you go, winning yeah. film. 
totally different film, but you know, I'd rather have seen that than I would have seen Rock of Ages. But I, it's, I, I know a completely different films, but you know the way that sort yeah. of um, Silence of the I, Lambs is told from Clarice's point of view. Yeah. Do Rock of Ages from um, Constance's point of I view? I think that's a really interesting angle. Uh, and like I said before, I think if you take out the Tom Cruise, the Stacey Jack Strand and work with that better you've got the makings of a film there let's, let's be um, honest my idea isn't going to make it any worse no no let's be honest uh, and you know fuck it let's get owen in stick some zombies in there as well <laughs> that's, that's gonna that's still gonna improve it um i think yeah, the, I, the two points i think that would stop it working as a film with Cruz in the lead was a, yeah. the character itself his position in the film is that He's the rock god, as they call him. Yeah. So to have him on screen all the time, it takes away this deity-like figure that yeah. he is, where he comes into things and he's just seen as the... If you know everything that's going on with that character, he loses some of that impact. But that's not to say if they could... I mean, the second point is he isn't really a very well-written character. If no. they had someone to flesh him out so that he had a relationship with Constance that was on screen and it was more than just them rolling around an air hockey table yeah. for a bit, singing whatever shit song it was they were singing at the time. Then, hey, hang on, can... hang on a minute. That was, uh, that was I Want to Know What Love Is by Foreigner. Don't you be dissing that. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> that was one I mean, of the good songs. <laughs> I'll come on to the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that, that was to try and give it some credit with Cruz. I think that was the point of his character, wasn't it? Why he was, why he was almost a, a cameo character. Yeah. With major credits. Yeah, yeah because <laughs> he, if, if he was in it anymore, then you would have said he was a very, very much a one-note character. The fact that he exactly. was in it less, you could get away with him being pretty much one-note. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, he was he was the most interesting character in the film. So I can, yeah. I can. If Steve's point about it, if they made it into a film with those two characters, yeah. it probably would have been better if they could have written him better. Yeah, it felt a bit like Spinal Tap at times with him. Uh, mm. And any film which relies on a monkey providing some comic relief is really kind of scraping the back. That's always yeah. like the last reserve of the desperate screenwriter is, well, let's just get a <laughs> monkey in to do something you know, fun. I heard about that, that baboon, how he got into the, 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 the film itself. It wasn't actually the screenwriters or anything to do that. It was okay. Tom Crick who turned up on set and said, wouldn't it be funny if my character had a baboon? And then they went, oh, yeah, okay, we'll get a baboon. And then suddenly there was a baboon on set. Well, there, there, there is the danger of letting Hollywood <laughs> stars write films, yeah. I've got a few bits here that I just want to, I just need to get out because they've been bugging me. Okay, firstly, Catherine Zeta-Jones, we've not mentioned it yet. She's not sexy anymore. Okay, that church scene where she did hit me with your best shot was so embarrassingly badly choreographed. <laughs> this is meant to be a musical, so the dancing at least should be good. And at times, the dance, you know, there were some good dance routines and stuff like that. Okay, that bit was the kind of Stepford Wives, women in a church type thing was so embarrassingly bad. And it looked she she hadn't got it anymore. It's not you're not in Chicago anymore, love. You can't do the high kicks and things without looking faintly ridiculous um and then that last bit at the end where she turns up in the bloody bondage gear of the my another one of my problems was the way there were so many plots uh you know individual plot lines in this film and none of them get tied up properly um so there's the bit where she goes from someone showing that record sleeve of her 
oh, look, she used to be a groupie. And then that's like, right, that's the end of her storyline. And then we'll just show her at the end of the... And it's like, oh, what? Um, you know, her husband, played by Brian Cranston. Right, open letter to Brian Cranston's agent. Stop just making him take every job that anyone ever offers him, OK? Breaking Bad has given him a new lease of life and has given him, you know, some credibility. So stop putting him in trash like this because he's a good actor. And he was terrible in this. He was really all kind of nods yeah. and winks. And there, there was... A, there, that whole plot was pure nothingness. Yeah, it was just um, pointless having his character there because it didn't do anything. It exactly. just took time away from fleshing out other characters and developing a storyline, or, put, yeah, or, or putting Catherine another song Zeta in. Jones yeah, yeah, make Catherine Zeta Jones a female politician who's doing this because yeah, <laughs> that's a bit more empowering and everything. Yeah, that, that, a, a lot of this film is actually really quite. Um, conservative for a film that's about 80s rock and roll excess there is some really conservative values running through this film that was one example of it the other one is okay alec baldwin and russell brand's characters firstly we've already mentioned the terrible accent the terrible jokes i also don't think that alec baldwin can carry this kind of slightly off killed alec baldwin is a god as jack donaghy in 30 mm-hmm. rock and he is he is amazing in that I didn't think this he fitted this character very well. It reminded me a lot of either of you seen Empire Records? Yeah. Okay. His character reminded me of and actually some of the plot from Empire Records is echoed in this. They've got until midnight to save the record shop that they love. And he actually reminds me of Anthony LaPaglia, who plays Joe, the record shop store boss. And it seems I think whoever wrote this has definitely seen Empire Records. Anyway, the, the kind of gay crush angle that came in halfway through the film out of nowhere. Okay, I found it really patronising. Actually, it was almost like, oh look, the the co- it was the, oh look at the funny gays kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's how it felt to me. Like the bits where oh they're playing um they're playing crazy golf and stuff like that. And that whole montage actually it it, it was quite offensive because everyone else in this film got to have a lot of sex and yeah, you know, and these two couldn't even have That's share it. a kiss. Uh, they held hands and they were funny gays, basically. They were the they were the typical conservative, non-offensive, entertaining gays that you get in a lot of films, unfortunately. I don't want to get on a political high horse or anything. I just thought, do you know what? For a film where everyone's having sex, oh, look, the only two gay characters in it can't even share a kiss. I thought that was a bit off, to be honest. Um, what else have I got here? Oh, God, Sherry and Drew. Oh, just Jesus Christ. Some of the lines and everything. Firstly, she's for someone who comes from Oklahoma, classic cliched um, place for someone going to Hollywood to come from. Um, oh, you're a nice guy, aren't you? Very easy, I found. She she ended up sleeping with him pretty damn quickly. Um, and <laughs> the moment when he shows her Hollywood, uh, you know, LA at the Hollywood sign, she says, "Oh, it looks like a giant velvet blanket covered in diamonds." That's straight out of the Dan Brown school of writing. It's just horribly clunky, descriptive writing for no reason. That annoyed me. Um, and like I said in beforehand, the whole conflict and misunderstanding between those two is a non... He thinks she slept with him, right? I'm sorry, if you're a bloke, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to accuse her of that. You're not going to go uh, uh, you know, and disappear off into completely separate worlds without actually confronting that one small... And, Someone please correct me if I'm wrong, but did we ever find out what actually happened? I might have dozed off or something and missed something important, but 
Did we ever actually find out why she came out and he had his hands down his pants and she had her top half off Cause, and cause, he said well, thank you for that? She yeah. cut, she bought the, the the brandy or whiskey brandy, in and, and then dropped it, dropped it on the and floor. he had just they finished he had, but he had just finished shagging the journalist yeah. so that was probably why he was doing his jeans up yeah, his trousers but, up. Like, but, you know, he, 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 when he went down to help her up, he sort of knocked her sleeve down a bit. So, all right, okay. a bit of that was, so it was, I just literally didn't really miss anything. I just didn't put it together very well. So You blinked, I think, and missed it. I, I think what, because I thought what I was thinking was, oh, she'd actually had a talk with, you know, they'd had a conversation or something about, you know, and it had made him change his view on life or something about, I thought something had actually happened that we hadn't seen. Uh, I didn't real. I didn't realize it was just really badly directed. Okay, fair enough then. But again, I just think for them to have a conflict and a breakup over that without confronting it wasn't realistic. But what I did find hilarious was that once they'd broken up, Drew just started doing everything really angrily um, in that kind of stagey. Ang- so mm-hmm. he went home. And he's writing a song and he's on his bed being really angry. I found it hilarious that. He's going in to see uh, Paul Giamatti's character, um, and he's signing in at reception. It was also really called, angrily. His character was like, also called oh, Paul, which just made things pretty really easy. Kind of thing. <laughs> it was just like it was terrible acting. He he was just abysmal. Yeah, yeah. And what um, I think saying, the problem with the, the the characters, though, I mean, I think Steve mentioned it almost straight away earlier on, was that they didn't have time to to develop a relationship because there's just too many songs that they don't get a chance to have any dialogue between the two characters it's all montage or they're singing at each other yeah and um and and the other difference is and again this is this is the difference between this and what i would class a proper musical i call this a jukebox musical because they've just they've pinched the well other people call it jukebox musical i didn't coin the phrase i'm not claiming credit there but um like for example and i will refer to les miserables a very different but when they sing at each other, it's been it's been written specifically for a scene to propel character, to propel the narrative. Whereas what they've done here is a oh, bit of character, bit of character. We have a song which kind of tenuously fits in with what we're saying, but because it only tenuously fits in, you're exactly right. It doesn't push the characters forward at all. So it is five minutes out from the characters. Um, and so, yeah, so you're, you're exactly right. Mary J. Blige is the strip club owner. was shockingly bad, I thought. Um, in fact, that whole strip club thing annoyed me because, A, terrible strip club. It's just the way she she jumped from waitress, but I've got my ass pinched, so I don't like yeah. it, to stripper. When yeah. I would have thought, I would have thought, that I would have thought. She's not a stripper. She says at one point, mm. when she confesses to him, when they start getting back together, I'm a stripper. No, you're not, love. I haven't seen you strip yet. I haven't Again, seen any of them this whole strip. Thing, don't show that world, but show a conservative, family-friendly version of it. Um, there was hardly any drugs in this film. But, but, you Again, know, but if I, drugs but, were massive at the time. Yeah. Show some people taking drugs, or don't set your film in 1980s LA about the rock scene. If I... well, it would have bumped the rating up, wouldn't it? It was, exactly. it was released just 12, so they couldn't. And it's on a stage musical as well. I think they they've very much got in mind who this audience will yeah. be. Yeah, no, no, you're very you're very right. <laughs> I think that's why that's why it doesn't work just for me yeah. from from a starter. Okay, so, you know, go right back to the genesis. You're going to do it about 1980s LA rock scene, but you're not going to ha- really show any sex. You're not going to show any drugs. You're not going to have much. Back- well, it's not going to work then. Yeah, you know, to me, it's like if you're going to do that scene. 
they're the things that make that scene great. Okay, they're the things that make that scene at least interesting. If you're going to take away the interesting parts, what you're left with is Rock of Ages, unfortunately. Um, and, and and the music. Do you know what? I forgot. I, I had forgotten how pretty unmemorable and terrible most of the music of that era was in that case because I found about half the songs I didn't recognise and maybe that's me. Oh, I'm old. I should recognise them. As you know, Steve, you know, I was probably buying these on seven inch <laughs> Um But I'm, and then the good songs that they have generally get ruined. I think, well, the only songs I quite liked it was when Tom Cruise did um, Dead or Alive. Um, in fact, most of the good songs were done when Tom Cruise was doing them because they stick, they stuck pretty much to the originals then at least. It might have been voiced. I don't, I don't know if Tom Cruise voiced it. Um, I think he sung them. They all, yeah. they all had to sing their own songs, I think. I, th- I thought that as well. But at least when he was doing it, he was doing it as a char- an actual rock character. So, But when Drew and Sherry were singing theirs, it felt like something from Glee or like something mm-hmm. from X Factor. It didn't feel at all credible. Um, so, yeah. And uh, the, one other point, again, just while I'm on my bloody high horse, <laughs> about plot... The, the whole point where, okay, they raise a load of money from the Stacey Jacks concert and the manager can just walk in and take it. Uh, I swear, there were contracts back then. That's theft. I, uh, and again, it was just this whole unbelievable plot point to propel the narrative. And I could not get past these unbelievable plot points. And I go, well, no, that just wouldn't happen. You know, there'd be an agreement. You know, I, I've, I've worked for a theatre. Uh, I've, booked, I've booked bands and things like that. You know, I've, I've done that kind of thing. You don't just have someone turn up and say, "Oh, yeah, it's for, you have a contract." It happens all, and I'm sure they had contracts in the eighties. Uh, so that annoyed me. Well, I go, think I've done. Go, going back to the point of jumping from waitress to stripper, yeah. I would have thought the most normal progression would have been, "I'm going to get a job as a waitress in a better restaurant where men <laughs> won't pinch my ass." <laughs> I mean, very true. Yeah, they, they, they had it a, is, it is a montage, it, didn't they, where she was trying to get jobs? So. I, th- I mean, I'm, I'm going to seem like I'm defending the film. I'm not defending it because I agree with every point that's yeah. been raised so far. But you've got to allow it some artistic license to yeah. give the, let the audience presume a lot of the story. Yeah, no, because it is not. a musical and it was already two bloody hours long. If yeah, they had to no. put any more into the story um, and kept in all the songs, you, you'd be just... <laughs> You die in your seat from old age. Because also, it was, um... also, when he took her up to the Hollywood sign, and and then they met up there by chance much later in the film. Why are yeah. they the only ones there? I mean, surely loads <laughs> of people trying to get their end away go up there. Surely it's rife with them. It's how it, it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, it was. I I see what Owen's saying. It, no, the fact is, look, it is a family friendly musical extravaganza. Um, but my point would still be they've been done so much better before um, and yeah some of the points I'm making may be a bit picky to be like the whole thing about loud music in a club and being able to talk over it to be fair that happens in every film it happens in every because otherwise it would make for a pretty boring film if you have a loud band <laughs> and you just have people you are having to lip read what people say although there's that brilliant scene in train spotting where they're in a club and they actually subtitle it because you can't hear exactly yeah. what they're saying as well. Um, but it's just, I, I can cope with, but I think I could cope with having to take a bit of a leap of faith with the plot 
if I liked the characters and the acting, you know, and you, you can forgive some things if other things are done well. And my problem was not a lot of this at all was done well, which just highlighted how bad some of the other decisions were. I think one of the things that made the film worse for me was the choice of songs. Because I'm not a fan of that genre anyway, and I know that basically means it's just personal taste that has Mm. resulted in me finding this film worse than someone else. Someone who loves 80s Mm. air metal would probably enjoy some of the performances in it. I think some some of them are quite good. Fair play to the the, the two main characters in it, um, Sherry and Drew. Cause I think they can sing. It's not really they can the sing. Fact. They can definitely sing. Yeah, they they, they aren't there on their acting merit basically. No. They're, they're there because they can sing and they look pretty. But yeah. the, the choice of songs for me, I didn't really get on with the, the choices very well. I thought some of them was kind of, the, the, the songs. They just came across as they, they've got this song. It's iconic for that era. We have to get this song in the film somewhere. Yeah. Oh, let's just create this little scene where they'll just run around a record shop singing this, this song. Yeah. Everyone will go, oh, isn't that brilliant? That's just exactly what I wanted to hear. Yeah. It's main, mainly the point about, we touched on quite a lot, the don't stop believing thing. Mm. There is absolutely no necessity for that song to be the, the, no. the main song in it. it's been no. used in countless other things yes they they could have had a touch of originality mm. there i don't know how long the musical itself has been going for um it's not so it's ha- not a hugely old one it's not hugely old although yeah. it would have been in the it would have been planned for a couple of stupid, years and stupid like question that, but, but have either of you seen the musical no i've got friends who have seen no because there, there was there was a group of girls sat behind me and they seemed to really like it and I heard them on the way out and they'd obviously seen the musical and they were saying to translate that from the musical to the film they couldn't have done it better so okay yeah Yeah. I mean I don't think it's particularly bad performances for the songs I just don't really like the songs and a lot of them felt shoehorned into the story and like I said before, I, I wouldn't have been hugely insulted by this being done on stage because I would have been able to think, well, that's actually quite impressive. They've got four or five different locations on this time. You know, I, I can, I think films have to be better. Otherwise, what's the point of bringing the stage show to a film unless films can do something that they can't do in the stage show, like be able to show us some nice close-up acting or be able to do something absolutely fantastic in terms of... And, and it didn't do anything like that. And I, I, I don't want to get completely... I just think it was... It, I was left thinking, why did they bother? And, and I know why they bothered. It's to make money and things like that. And again, sadly, that's what it's come down to. Um but there was no art in my mind there was no artistic integrity about this at all it was just a money making transfer from stage to screen uh and sometimes that can work and sometimes it doesn't yeah i, I think ugh, it's late and i'm drunk and i'm getting <laughs> i'm getting upset um, <laughs> well let, let's end but let's I, end i wanted it to be better i i genuinely want it i don't want anyone to think i went into this thinking it's going to be terrible yeah. i wanted it to be better but it really wasn't. Well, just before we wrap it up, I just want to make one point. There was one thing that I thought, I've seen High School Musical, don't ask me why, but I have mm. seen High School Musical. Yeah. There's one thing that made this film 
better than High School Musical, which was that although it's Hollywood sexy, I thought it did have a sexy, more mature kind of theme to it. Some some of it took me a little bit by surprise with some mm. of the quips. And yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, the stuff like Tom Cruise just walking down the, uh, was he just on the, the corridor or something, and yeah. like women just sort of licking him and stuff. And the, the bits where he's singing into, um, in between her legs, he's just, yeah. just it, it, That's kind of, I appreciated that they tried to make it sexy. Um, I think they've made, like you say, they've made it as sexy as they could for a 12, hadn't they? Yeah, uh, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, and I'd imagine actually on stage it's it's quite a bit sexier. Uh, I'd imagine because you can usually get a lot away with a lot more on stage uh, than you can in a film with the BBFC and you know censors and everything like that. Um, yeah, bits of it were quite sexy. Yeah, there was some good-looking people in it acting yeah. in a good-looking way. Um, <laughs> but I can find that for free on the internet. Uh, <laughs> not I want to. I mean, I, I wouldn't go to watch it for that. I, mean, I don't really tend to watch films for that kind of thing anyway. No. But, I, you know, it's kind of, it's just an extra something on top, which if you're not enjoying the, the music, you can enjoy them trying to be a bit sexy, I guess. Yeah. Which I would enjoy in the music, like I say. I mean, there's a quote from The Wrestler, um, which I'm going to really badly misquote, but he it's, it's talks about... Um, uh, Cobain spoiling the music for everyone, you know Kurt Cobain, where he says yeah. he spoiled it. That I'm I'm one of those Cobain fans, so this film it did nothing for me. I'm going to just say before I know we're trying to wrap it up quite quickly now, and I'm going on a little bit. But if you don't like if you like musicals, but you don't like that kind of music, I wouldn't recommend it. If you yeah. like music and you like that music, you might you'll get have something. fun. Yeah, 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 I'm sure you will. And anyone who and it sounds like anyone who likes the stage show will enjoy it, so they should go and see it as well. Well, there we are, and let's wrap it up for this week. Next week we'll be reviewing Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Uh podcast will be out at the same time next week. Triple Bill will be our favourite novel to film adaptations. Um my list might not exist, but uh, <laughs> Jurassic Park was a novel. Brilliant. There, you go. Done. there we go. There's one. <laughs> um, might have to kick one of the Lord of the Rings films out now. And yes, and uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, whatever other films we've been watching in the last week. Um, yes, James, do you want to tell everyone where to find the website and everything again before we go? Okay, so it's uh, find the website, come and look at some great articles. And if you actually want to submit some articles, contact us because we're looking for writers. But it's failedcritics.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritic uh, or follow us on Twitter at, at failedcritics. Lovely. Well, next week, yes, we'll be back. So hopefully you've enjoyed listening and you'll be back next week with us. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.